Yo, what is going on, everybody? And welcome back to the Get The Shot podcast. I know I've been gone for a while, but we are back. Let's call this season two starting now. This podcast is for all you aspiring creatives trying to get your shot at working in a sports creative industry. My name is Billy Quach, and I am the creative director at Let It Fly Media, as well as an NFL LCC content creator based in Kansas City. Today, our guest is the one and only Andy Turner, a freelance cinematographer who's going to be talking about how he got his start at Clemson University to now working for people like Nike, PGA Tour, and more. Super stoked to be back. I know I've been gone. Let's shake off the rust and let's freaking run it. Let's go. Yo, what's going on, Andy? How are you doing today? I'm so good. How about you? Dude, doing great. Um, A lot's been going on, so I'm kind of a mess right now, but we're here now. We got the podcast rolling again. Uh, It's been like eight, nine months since I did the last podcast, so I'm officially called this season two, episode one of the Get the Shot podcast. So thank you so much for being our first guest in our rejuvenated season. You excited? You ready for this? Yeah, I'm fired up to kick it off. I've been a long time listener for the past, I think you've been doing this for like two years, um, and I'm excited to be on. Let's ride. First things first, we're just going to do a quick intro of you, and then we'll start getting into questions from the audience. We've got some people in the room already, so excited to talk to them in a bit. But um, let's just start off for those who don't know who you are, Andy, um, kind of intro yourself and what you do currently. Yeah, for sure. I'm Andy Turner and I'm a freelance cinematographer. I went to Clemson from 2015 to 19 where I first started working for athletics there and then got looped in heavy with football for my sophomore year through senior year. And then yeah, after college, graduated freelance full-time for about two years. That took me up to COVID. During COVID, I took a full-time job with a speaker based out of Charlotte. So I ran his social pages, shot his keynotes, kind of did the whole like D-Rock, Gary Vaynerchuk thing, but on a much smaller scale for this guy, Brian Kite. And through all that whole time, I was still freelancing. And now we're back to the freelance grind. So today, a lot of my work is with the PJ Tour and just the golf space in general. And then I do my own just like projects on the side. I do a lot with the Elite 11 and they're kind of like my Nike football connection. And yeah, we're taking gigs as they come in. So still full-time freelance and we're getting after it in the sports world. What got you started in videography or creating like what was your kind of origin story? For sure. I think it's like similar to a lot of kids in this industry where it was a GoPro who got us or a GoPro that got us started. So there was this like zip lining trip that my family was gonna go on and it ended up falling through. So I got a GoPro for that trip. I was like, oh sick, we're gonna have it on the helmets. We're gonna mount it everywhere. It's gonna be an epic recap video. And that fell through and I just had this GoPro sitting around and I was like, we gotta do something with this. So we made just like the most ridiculous uh, films and air quotes, as you can say, uh, just with this GoPro camera. So I would use it to make movies with like the kids that I babysat or playing basketball in the front yard or jumping on the trampoline in the backyard or something like that. Um, and mounting it just, just, just like all the different places we could think of on a four wheeler and just cutting between that and windows movie maker. And yeah, dude, that was it. That was a start, the GoPro. And what would you say was kind of like your big break or kind of that turning point of, okay, this is for fun, GoPro with the family into like, oh, this could be my job for real. Yeah. Um, I think, so it it was a combo of two things. It was getting the gig with Clemson Athletics. Um, I got that 
halfway through my freshman year when I was in school. And then around that same time, well, probably six months after that, I started shooting weddings. Um, Daniel Jones passed off a wedding to me that he couldn't shoot. And that's when I realized like, okay, this could be something. And if all else falls through, like no, no hate to people who are shooting weddings full time. But I was like, if nothing else works, like, boom, I can shoot weddings full time and make a full time income. So it was around that time that I changed my major from engineering into marketing to have more time to do the video thing while I was in school. Um, and that kind of allowed me to pursue shooting weddings while I was in school just to make a little bit of cash to say, like supplement my income, buy some more gear, do all that kind of stuff. So yeah, Clemson really helped me just propel me and get a lot of eyeballs on my work and just help me grow as a filmmaker when I was there. Um, and yeah, they set me up. They kind of connected me with a lot of people in the sports world when I was there. And it was like the best time to be shooting and editing for a college football team between 2015 and 19 at Clemson. Um, so yeah, it was a combo of Clemson and weddings was the the break, the turning point, I guess. Let's go. Clemson and weddings, nothing better. I remember when I first got started, I had a GoPro too, and I did some weddings. So I feel like a lot of people kind of get their start with uh, those smaller cameras and smaller gigs. Um, but all right, let's jump into the next portion of the podcast. We're going to bring in some guests, ask some questions, or they're going to ask some questions. We'll answer them um, and we'll see if we can help some people out. Yo, Trevor, what's going on? Yo, can you see me? Hear me yeah. too? Yeah, yeah, we, we got, got you. you. How, How you doing? doing? I'm doing good. How y'all doing? Great. We're doing great. Just uh, just chilling, vibing right now. Um, welcome to the podcast. Why don't you give a short intro of who you are and what you do, just so we have some context, and then we'll get off with the Q&A. Yes, sir. So my name's Trevor Borgman. I'm a junior at Mizzou, and I work for the Creative Video for Mizzou Athletics. And my first question, starting off, uh, this one's kind of more directed towards you, Billy. I am wondering, how do you find a balance between the technical side of being a creative, but also moving up and utilizing conceptual skills as far as planning and strategizing within Let It Fly Media? Because... I see that you do more than just edit the videos. You also direct. And I wonder what that's like, because I want to have goals of moving up within being creative, but I don't know if I'm just going to be abandoning my editing and shooting skills. So, Like many skill sets, I think in order to get to the conceptual part, probably you got to get the technical part down really well. Um, it would, I think, be hard for me to direct a cam op or lead a crew or, you know, be in charge if I didn't know how most cameras worked or if I didn't know how to edit something myself. Um, I don't think that always has to be the case, but that, that'd be where I would first start is if you want to get to that portion of your career where you're a bit more conceptual and a bit more hands-off the gear, um, focus those first couple of years of nailing down the technical aspects so that way when you get into positions of those higher talks and higher positions, you can you know what you're talking about and you know why things should be done one way versus the other. Um, so I think that is kind of the route I took to get into a more comfortable space of directing or leading or being hands-off is that I dedicated so, so many hours into 
the technical side. I made spent hours, you know, staying up late at night editing. I've spent hours on shoots. Like I've done that work so much that now I am confident in my ability to not have to do that and tell people, hey, maybe we should do it this way or maybe we should do it that way. So I think that's my answer um, for your question. Andy, do you have any experience that kind of pertains to that? Yeah, for sure. I I was thinking about how to help out here. And I think it's, I've made the mistake, the mistake being on sets and getting too far deep into the technical side of things where I'm telling, you know, the client and just running through like, okay, cool. We're going to shoot this 4k 60. We're going to shoot it in log and blah, blah, blah. And all this and all this. And really like that doesn't matter to them. Like it matters that you know it yeah. and that's mm-hmm. like, like all that should be taken care of in the brief before you even get on set when you speak to the like DP or whatever, or whoever else is going to be in charge of that. Like people who are there on site, it doesn't matter to them. They just want to make sure that you are just like present and ready to rock and going to get after it. And they know that they're going to, that they're going to get a good final product. So it's like, you do take those years in the early stage, like Billy was saying to just like get that stuff dialed. And then you just keep it like, you know, in your head, you know, and, and it, you don't get too deep into it when you're actually on the set. Okay, sweet. Yeah, that that makes sense. And it also leads me to my next question, too. And I wrote this one thinking about you, Andy. I know you do. I was looking at your account and I saw you do more freelance now. And I was wondering because the last question I don't want to, I want to be able to use technical and conceptual. And I feel like that's a part of freelance. And so what is the biggest challenge that comes with doing freelance? Uh, yeah, I want to make sure I know what you're, you're asking here. I think it's like, sometimes like when you're, it depends on the job that you're getting on when it's like, okay, cool. Am I going to use the technical side or the conceptual side of, you know, your skill set? So if you're like starting, if you have, you know, front to back end of a project and you're doing it all, it's like, yes, that's going to take every bit of your like creative energy, right? And you're going to have to use technical and conceptual. But sometimes you're literally just jumping on or I'm jumping on sets as a cam up and I just have to be like dialed on the technical side. And then I'm passing the footage off to an editor who has the storylines, who's going to cut it and the piece will be live two months later down the line. So the challenge is knowing like when to do the most and when to pull back and just like live in your role and just support the job that's being done. So at first when I was like, you know, a couple years ago, three, four years ago, like getting into freelancing and contracting, it was the model of like, Oh, I have to do everything from pre-production storyboarding, conceptualizing, pitching, doing everything as far as, you know, shooting, then editing, then posting and saying like, look, this is my project. But now it's more so that happens like 10% of the time, 15% of the time. Um, but the majority of the time I'm just jumping on set as a different position or like a singular position. I'm not doing everything. So it has been a challenge to kind of figure out, Hey, I'm not going to do everything from start to finish, but it's also kind of liberating to know that you don't have to you know, own the entire project from start to finish. Okay, cool. Cause that was at, kind of answered my next question too, in a way. And I don't know if I have time to ask one more. Yeah, you can do one more. Okay, sweet. So I was wondering because I see it's obviously at least doing 
advertising and creative in general, it's a lot of traveling, it looks like. And I was curious, is being creative sustainable as far as time commitment to possibly like the day comes where you start a family? Like I do do either of you have kids? I don't think (laughs) I do not. Well, this this question might not um, be applicable then, but I, I think I have an answer for it. You, you can still ask it. Um, so I guess what you're asking is like currently you see creatives as you know a lot of traveling, a lot of time spent out on shoots. Like, is that sustainable in the wrong long run? And um, it's something I think about a lot, even though even if I don't have kids or uh, a significant other. And I think it's kind of the reason I've chosen the career path. I've chosen within creative um, working at an agency and working uh, with a team is because I don't want to have to feel like it's all on me um, to do every project start to finish um, every step of the way. So for me, and it's different for everybody, but uh, I always have just gone down the, you know, I'm going to work for a team or I'm going to work for an agency or I'd rather have just a sustained um, sustained salary um, just to know that you know even if I work a couple more hours this week a couple less hours that week like at least every two weeks I'm getting paid so that's kind of been my mindset uh, of being a creative is trying to find a salary job as a creative um, and that kind of helps with that uh, sustainability or long term vision of not having to be um, a part of every step for every single project. But um, obviously there's a bunch of freelancers out there with family, with um, time on their side. So Andy, if you want to answer that side of the equation. Yeah, for sure. So I freelance full time um, and I'm, I don't plan on being on the road for like my entire life, but right now I probably spend 30 or 35 weeks a year traveling. Maybe that's too much. Maybe it's just 30 probably call it like half the year on the road. Um, and that's kind of like by design for now because I do have the freedom and I don't have kids at home or things like that. So it's like, I'm putting in the time now to kind of grind and set the groundwork to eventually be able to handle work from home and maybe send crews out on projects or manage projects from home or maybe just like get to the point where I'm spending 15 weeks on the road where it's like, the, the, the most important 15 events that will make the difference in the career with me being on site versus me not being on site. Uh, but right now, like the, the travel kind of comes in waves. So like I, right now I'm on the road a lot. I just got back from a trip to Italy and then a trip to Japan. And then next week I'm in Uganda, which is absolutely insane. And October is like, the the busy travel month and then moving into November, but then I'm planning on taking it easy in December. So it's it's a balance for sure. Um, but it's really cool for me to kind of say like, hey, I can make my own schedule and I'm good on work and it gives you the freedom to say no to some gigs or then it gives you leverage to maybe up your price or take on less gigs if you're set in the first six months of the year, then you kind of have the next six months to kind of get aggressive and switch up your pricing and pitching and all that kind of strategy. So yeah, it's a balance and it's, I'm not going to be on the road forever, but it's, it's cool. It's pretty cool to, I don't know, gamify the freelance world. 
Awesome. Yeah. Hey, I really appreciate all your guys' insight, seriously. And uh, for those listening, because I was a big listener of Get the Shot podcast to get me where I'm at right now. Thank you, Billy. And also those listening, this dude keeps it real as he does on the podcast, real life. Uh, I was, it was nice getting to meet you as well, Billy, at that Mizzou game. Yeah, uh, for sure. I, I really appreciate what you do here and probably a lot more callers. So I, I'll, I'll get all your guys uh, air now, but I appreciate all the feedback. I'll, I'll be in touch with you all, all right? For sure. See ya. Yeah, sounds yeah, good. Sounds good. Um, nice seeing, um, you, again, nice seeing you again, Trevor. Take care. Let's take care. Yes, sir. Bye, guys. What a first guest. Come on. Let's go. We got three more in the room. Let's keep it going. That was awesome. Um, all right. Next, we've got Jordan. Oh, we got Jordan Chapman. Let's go. <laughs> uh, let's bring him in for a sec. I don't think this dude needs any answers from us. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, Jordan, I got a couple of questions for you, actually. Jordan. <laughs> yeah, what it do, what it do. <laughs> what it do. What's good, Doc? Hey, man. Great to see y'all. What are you doing here? <laughs> you know, I just thought I'd stop through, see my favorite peoples in the. Yes, sir. Oh, let me see. Let me, let me see that smile. Uh, <laughs> I, haven't, you know, I haven't seen that in a minute. Uh, yeah, it's, it's better than before. I'll tell you that. Better than before. <laughs> I can thank y'all for that. What's going on, dude? All right, I'll give you. I'll give you one question. Because uh, I feel like some other people might need it more. But what you got for us? What do you want to tell the world? Oh, shoot, man. Like, just questions for you guys you're asking? Yeah. 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 If you were starting out as a new creative, what questions would you have for us? Mm-hmm. So, uh, let me see. Is it more important being a better editor or being a better shooter? Andy, I'll, I'll let you start. <laughs> I mean, I think it depends on what you want to get into, right? Like, I mean, starting out, you kind of have to be dialed at both, or at least in my experience, I had to be dialed at both um, because at Clemson, a lot of the projects were you shoot it and you edit it. Like we didn't have the means to just pass off footage to an editor, which is kind of a luxury now um, to have someone cutting up your footage for you. Um, But for me, I prefer shooting. So I'd say it's more important since I want to get into the cinematography side of things and I am in the cinematography side of things, it's more important to be a more dialed shooter. This could be a chicken versus the egg scenario, but I am going to argue that it's more important to be a shooter than, or it's more important to be a better shooter than it is to be the better editor because I think someone who's very good at shooting is going to edit better than someone who's better at editing, but their footage isn't as good. (laughs) So you're saying like you can save yourself from the edit, like maybe people who are dialed at editing just kind of rely on the editing and then it's like, oh yeah, we can shoot whatever. I I think that's that's what what I'm saying. saying. I'm tracking. I don't know if that works or not, but... You know what I mean? Like I know Jordan's nice with the edits. Jordan's nice with the edits, so he's probably going to have a a counter opinion here. I'd rather be a good shooter with bad editing skills because the shots are crazy. (laughs) Simple cuts, dog. No effects. We're still good. Versus being a bad shooter and a phenomenal editor, which you could do a lot with some bad footage. I've seen it firsthand. 
what's the classic uh, caption copy? It's like no crazy transitions, simple cuts, just vibes. You know, it, it's 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 funny. Um, I remember there was a quote you used to say, Andy. I think it was, or at least you. I think you had got it from someone. It was, um, whatever you do, make it shorter. Do you oh yeah, that? dude. Yeah. You remember it was that Casey quote? Neistat. Casey Neistat. Casey Neistat. Yes. And that I tell myself that every day. It's like, cause like I see a lot of the people I work with, like their edits and whatnot. It'll be like a two minute edit with transitions and all this stuff. And I'm like, I just think back, like, I remember when Andy quoted Casey about make it shorter, make it cleaner, just simple. You know, that that's what I'm into. But I, it's funny what that you say, what you said, Billy, um, because I would probably say the same thing you said, but for the opposite, as far as like it catering to being an editor, because I say this, say, say you were like some guy, some editor just locked in a booth, right? And all you would see is good footage all the time. You're just like constantly just editing off of good footage. Given the opportunity you need to shoot something, I would, I would hope and I would imagine you had seen enough good footage to know what good footage is supposed to look like. Maybe you won't, maybe you won't end up doing that good footage, like when you're actually in that opportunity, but you'll at least have an idea what that looks like. Here's yeah. the thing though. I feel like you could choke when you're shooting. You can't really choke when you're editing, depending on the turnaround time. Oh, we, oh. Could, we could talk about this all day. Oh, <laughs> That's why I referenced the chicken and the egg, because I, I can see it both ways. But I think my argument stands for if you're a creative starting out, I would focus on shooting more, slightly more than I was focused on editing. Uh, would we agree with there? I don't know. Ooh, I don't know. See, I feel like when you're first starting out, you need to, uh, like you say, Billy, post your work, right? And to post your work, you got to be <laughs> locked in with the edit. You got to be doing the triple stacks. You got to be doing the frames. But you could post one single clip as your work. Yeah, that's, that's fair. That's still your work. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. You could capture some attention with one shot on your Twitter. I know from experience. Yeah, we we know. Super Super Bowl last year, we know. We know. we all know the shot. When um when I first started, it's it's not really this story will be quick. I um when Vine was still a thing, RIP, I had a right. series on like the tail end of Vine called Daily Drone. And I was using like footage from like a Phantom 2 and a GoPro on a gimbal on the DJI drone or whatever. And I just stacked a bunch of footage for like, I don't know, two, three, four months. And then I had six months of daily vines that I pushed out and like the edits were awful, but I was like consistent with the edits. So I posted every single day on Vine and it like got a little bit of traction. And my former boss, Jonathan at Clemson said that that was one of the reasons why you know, he brought me on shooting for athletics because he saw that I could be consistent there. So, I mean, you don't have to be a crazy editor just starting out, but like just learning the basics of editing and doing something. If it's daily, that's great. Like go ahead and do it. Um, but yeah, being consistent with the edit, I think is also more important starting out than being like nice with the edit. Facts, big facts. Is it, is that bourbon you're drinking right there? No, it's water. <laughs> It is, ah, it is five yeah, thirty. From the, the plane ride the other day, I was like, <laughs> was, it the, was it the other day when you did that? Dude, you dude, like yeah. Shot. 
Kind of. I'm, I'm running my TikTok on a post your work, like four month delay. I'm so behind on my daily vlogs on TikTok. <laughs> we got to get those numbers up, man. All right. I have one more question. Is that, is that, well, yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, so this will be a, would you rather situation? Would you rather only be able to shoot in 30 FPS or only be able to shoot in with no LUT? Like all your footage has no LUT. You cannot put a color grade on it. You can't correct it? Can you, Can you like, like No, nah, you can't wreck seven oh nine. No, thirty frames easy. Ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh Oh that, that's a good would you rather. I've never What? This is a good would you rather. This is the easiest would you rather in the book. Thirty frames per second? Listen, I I'm not going to bat for 30 frames per second, but the the capture standard for the tour, the PJ tour, is 30 due to their broadcast rights. So like, I'm making a winner's melt every week on Dude, tour. You're solid. The winner's melt gets distributed to broadcast partners and all that kind of stuff. So it has to be 30 to run on the broadcast. So I send them the 20 minute winner's melt of whoever won. It's like the best shots, the final putt, the trophy raise. And dude, I hate to say it, but like my eye has like come around to like seeing 30 and being like, yo, this is normal. I know it, it, it's painful. We're, we're working on making the standard 24, but like that's a conversation that is happening in rooms that I'm not in due to the fact that it's like broadcasty. You know what I'm saying? Sheesh. <laughs> it's easy. It's an easy choice. I, I think I have to pick 30. Uh, yeah, I'll pick 30, I guess. Just, uh, I'm, I'm just, just going to. Gonna... Remove you from the room. Make it shorter, Jordan. Make it shorter. Make it shorter, Jordan. Yes, Ryan, good. What's up? Come on. Yo. For those who don't know, uh, Ryan lives across the street from me back at home in Charleston. Ryan, what's up? Why don't, why don't you intro yourself? Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm Ryan Thurber. Um, I do videography right now for my high school, for the most part, Lucy Beckham. Um, and yeah, I, I really got into videography mostly because James and Andy thought it was really cool. So I followed after them. Um, I've kind of definitely dialed in over the past year and I do pretty much all their sports at this point. Um, so that's that's where I'm at in my videography career currently. Is dialed in like the new term? Like I've been hearing that a lot from Andy and I just heard it from you. Like I think James may have started it or James and his buddies and then it just kind of rubbed off. Says it too. I mean, I, I don't know. The amount, amount of times I've heard Andy say it already on the podcast, I could probably make like a back-to-back reel. <laughs> dialed it, dialed it, dialed it. All right, Ryan, what's your first question? So my big question, I really have one big one, is um, how how exactly would I make um, start to make money in this point in my career as a 15-year-old in high school? Uh, okay, you want to make money as a 15-year-old in high school. Um well, start charging people for your services, uh, step one. Um, really good question. I think, yeah, I, I mean, that was the first thing that came to my mind. But if I'm a 15-year-old high school student, I think charging people to do something is not at the top of my mind. Um, if someone says, hey, you want to come film this football game? I probably would just go film it for free. Um, so as a high schooler, definitely understand that if somebody – is taking your time away from you. You need to be charging for that. 
It could be $5, it could be $500, whatever. But as long as you are charging, that's step one. Step two is figuring out how much. That's probably the harder part of the equation, like how much do I charge? Um, and to that, I would, you know, it's almost a balance of testing it out on, you know, the people you're working with, like try to charge $200 for this project. And if they say yes, great. Maybe the next project, somebody asks you something for something else, you say 300. And then they say, yes, great. Then the next time you say 400. And then they say, no, it's like, all right, I know I get a yes at 300. I get a no at 400. Maybe that's where I'm at right now. Maybe my stuff is worth 300. And so now I know I need to work to get better in order to get a yes at 400. Or whatever number it is or whatever rate it is, it's all the same mindset. If you do 50 an hour and people are saying yes, cool. Next time, say 75. Next time, say 100. At 125, you might get a no, and that's when you know, like, okay, I can live around $100 an hour, and I'll stay there for a bit. Once I know I'm getting better, once I know this work is starting to look better than my previous, next time somebody calls, I'm going to say 150 and see if that hits. Um, so it's just a back and forth, in my opinion, of figuring out where your threshold is of your pricing. Like, wh when do you start to get no's? And wherever that is, that's where I would live and then until you're ready to make the next jump. Andy, what about you? Since you probably price out more than I do. Yeah, Ryan, I think it's like the matter of having, not to say it again, but a dialed you know, piece of spec work where maybe you've done it for free, but it's like work that you're fired up with and really proud of. And then you can go and show that to a potential client. Like if a, if a high school junior or senior is looking for a highlight tape, I know you've made a couple of those, right? You know, you can show them a previous one that you've done and then it's like, hey, if you think that's worth $500 to make the highlight tape, that's what you're charging just based off of the previous work that you've done. Because being 15, it could be like, oh, a potential client sees your age and they're like, well, we don't want this young guy to do it. But in like this industry, it really doesn't matter how old you are. It really just matters like, okay, what's the final product gonna look like and how do you act on set, right? So I think you can charge whatever you wanna charge as long as you have the work to back it up. Yeah, um, the school, that's where most of my work goes into. And I do that for free, which has been a huge issue. Um, because like they expect a lot of videos out of me and that has been like chaotic for the last few weeks, especially trying to balance like schoolwork. Like I play baseball. I got now filmmaking as well. Um, I would tell the school, sorry, I'm, I'm charging now. So what's, what's your budget? Here's my rate. Like, like I said, step one, you guys start charging if, in order to get paid. You know what you should do? is we're going to plug our good friend Jared's uh, new tech platform, Gondola. And you jump on and you just track all your links on Gondola, right? And you say, hey, in the past six months, the videos I've made for Lucy Beckham have generated tens of thousands of impressions and this many likes and this many comments. And maybe you have a couple stories of saying like, hey, we converted this athlete to come here to play instead of Wando, um, which is a rival high school in the area, right? And it's like, yeah. you, you go to your administration and you're like, hey, how valuable is this to you guys? Um, but you, you approach them humbly. You're not just like, 
like I'm a big shot, pay me. Um, it's like, Hey, I'm providing value and I've done it for the past year. What, what year are you in high school? Um, cool, dude. Yeah. You got time. Um, so you can, you can do that as a junior and a senior, right? So you got to play the long game of hoping that they pay you your junior year, senior year. So you ball out your sophomore year and make badass videos and then you track all your numbers and then you kind of approach whoever's got the cash at Lucy B and then you, uh, yeah, hit them with your pitch. Yeah. I got a good buddy who, um, did football in lacrosse football last year, London Harvey, uh, also known as outlaw productions. Um, he said the best time to cash in is the end of any season because that's when a bunch of players come to you for highlight tapes. And he's had kids like he's, he had one kid on lacrosse that paid like $500 for a single highlight tape. Yeah. Make that high school money, man. I wish I started videography in high school. I didn't start till sophomore year of college. So you got a four year head start on me. I mean, it is more competitive market now than when you got started stuff. So. Yeah, true. Pros and cons. All right, Ryan, you got any other questions? Uh, no, that's about it. Awesome. Yeah, appreciate you being on the podcast and asking questions. Uh, good luck getting that bag next year. We'll see ya. All right. See you later, Ryan. What a legend. Raking it in as a sophomore. Get after Ryan's Instagram. I think his Instagram is, it's the Holy City Drony. D-R-O-N-I-E. You know the drone videos where they kind of pull back? That's where the, yeah. the name comes from. But yeah, he's got a lot of stuff about his high school uh, videography. Yeah, speaking of gondola, how how dope of an app is that? Oh, it's sick. I need to, uh, I gotta upload my last three trips. Here's what I do. When I'm on yeah. site, it's, it's packed, it's busy. I don't have time. Like I'll be scrolling through and it's like, oh cool, PJ Tour, here's something that I worked on. But I don't have time to like link it right away. I'll bookmark it. Mm -hmm. And then after I bookmark it, I come back, I'm home for a week. And now this is the week where it's like, okay, cool. For the past three weeks, I've added all these things to my bookmarks on Twitter and my saved on IG. And I just roll through those and then link everything at once. They probably see just like a massive upload or number tick from uh, my, my account. Um, but yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's really cool. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Yeah, yeah I, I, freaking I freaking love the app. Um, I've, I've been, been wanting, wanting something like that, that literally since I started, like my first, you know, things that I've created that I saw on social being posted by other people, like I saved those. Um, and, I, and they were just always in my saved like Instagrams or like bookmarked on Twitter. I, there was never a spot to put it. Um, but when that came out, I was like, oh, let's go. I'm digging through and finding every single thing I've ever made and putting it on there. So. For sure. It's also like shout out Jared right there. It's crazy that it's free because I know a lot of companies pay a lot of money to and they they have full time positions for like metrics and they can go to their metrics guys and girls and say like, hey, how did we do last month? And it's their responsibility to scrape the numbers. But literally Gondola does it for you, which is so cool. All right. Shout out Jared. That's Next, our ad for the day. A, shout out Gondola sponsoring. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all want to sponsor this, this <laughs> podcast? Jared, call me, please. <laughs> Uh, all right next uh next guest we got joseph yo what's going on joseph hey what's up guys how uh, you doing? doing good good uh just had a few questions um just just a quick background so i am a videographer and photographer from like a mid-tier d1 uh, university and I just wanted to ask a few things, especially since you work by yourself or I work by myself majority of the time. I don't have like a huge crew. That's probably one or two people covering a huge game, you know, homecoming, stuff of that nature. Um, 
when it comes to shots, when it comes to storytelling, when it comes to um, basically getting it out as quickly as possible. Oh, uh, do you um, do you plan stuff in your head? Do you kind of just lean off experience? You kind of think of, hey, this has worked in the past. Um, what do you think is your your thought process when it goes through through, especially when you're working, you know, with a smaller crew and stuff of that nature? Yeah, I think when you've got the smaller crew, you got to figure out what the most important moments are of the game, right? You kind of have to prioritize. Um, so it's like, okay, cool. We know we want to get out X number of pieces of content pregame, X number in the middle, and then postgame. How much can you, you know, afford to allocate resources to to get that content out? So you got to like, I, I guess, take what you can get, right? When you're on the time crunch and you're on the smaller crew, um, you're going to have to say yes to some asks and no to another handful. But you got to be... Um, what's the word you got to figure out what the priority is, right? Like whether it's a story that's only happening on that one game, right? Like call it homecoming. Like, I mean, like it's working in sports is so cool because it's, there's a routine and there's things that happen every single game, but then on certain situations like a homecoming situation, there's going to be different storylines that kind of evolve because it's homecoming or because there's a special person being honored in the game or something along those lines. You know what I mean? So it's like, what moments can you capture and put out that happen every time that you can plan for? And then I guess I would have a little bit of space to just say, okay, cool. We're going to be reactionary to these unique moments that are happening in this game. But it, I mean, you know that already, right? Like it's like, of yeah. course, of course you have to prioritize, uh, when you have a crew of one or two. So, I mean, none of that's, none of that's groundbreaking, but I mean, I guess it's, yeah, I, mean, I, yeah, guess. I just, I, I find it hard to struggle between like game action and then switching to the crowd or like panning your camera around real, real quick or especially in sports, you just, you never know when someone's going to hit a home run and then you think, okay, do I stay with the whole play? Do I go with the crowd? What's, what's, what's more important? You know, that, right. that's just the stuff that goes through my head. I think, yeah, I think you got to get crafty in how you tell your story in the edit, right? Like you're, maybe you're using a crowd clip from the third inning but the home run actually happens in the seventh um, and you spend an inning shooting crowd and then you use those reactions to tell your story and your edit while you're focusing on the action in the, you know, seven, eighth and ninth inning when the game action is more important. Right. So if you can give yourself the runway to say, hey, I'm going to knock out all of my responsibilities for crowd shots establishers, scene setters, whatever, early on in the first three innings, and then you're focused on the game after that, I feel like that's a smart way to kind of use your time. And I have one more question. Um, so especially when it comes to social media and stuff is always evolving, ever evolving, whether it's like TikTok, be reals. Um, uh, one of my mentors once told me, you know, storytelling never goes out of style. Um, no matter what the social media platform is, but storytelling, storytelling never goes out of style. How do you find a balance between, you know, the latest trends and, um, you know, sticking to your guns of like a storyteller, you know, if, whether it's like cinematic or quick cuts or um, how do you evolve as things basically evolve as you get older or as I get older, basically? Yeah, I'll uh, I'll try to answer that first uh, and then let Andy go in. Um, I think it kind of also depends on like what your deliverable is, right? If you're doing a short six second or 15 second attention grabber, maybe the story is not as important and you could go more with the trend or more with um, the meme or what's you know funny on social. But if it's a longer piece, 30 seconds, one minute, two minutes, where you're trying to attract viewers and hold their attention, then maybe 
that's when you think about the story a little bit more um, and focus less on the, you know, the fanciness of, or the, um, what am I trying to say? Uh, focus less on the, uh, just like the effects and like all the craziness of social media and being meme-ish and whatever. Um, I don't know if that makes sense at all, but um, that's one way to look at it. Look at it is like maybe your length helps determine that balance of should I focus more on the story or should I focus more on the trend? You can be really intentional about whether you're going to go after the trend or after the story. And I think you were kind of saying before you cut out is you can be intentional about merging those two. But TikTok now makes it so easy to say, hey, we're going after this trend and this is how the trend is done and we're going to execute it at a really high level. Or you can just totally scrap the trends and it's it's your creative choice to say, hey, we're going to go after the story and we're going to choose like, you know, our own path on TikTok. Like I've seen people making like really cool creative daily vlogs on TikTok and, you know, the audio and the day in the life aspect of it is like, you know, what you're doing every day. And it's it's not really guided by any trend because it's just like someone's life in their vlog. Right. Um I don't know if that's doable for a school. I'm sure it is. But those creators could totally jump on a trend if they wanted to, and they still have the ability to and the, the choice to do that. But then their brand is like, hey, we're going to do our own thing and tell our own story um, and get after our own style. So like, I think both are just to- they're, they're valid to take whatever. And if there's a way to kind of brand build and world build while jumping on a trend and telling your story, I think that's like the best of both worlds. But it's you've got like the ability to choose both, especially with TikTok, just presenting trends. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate y'all's answer. Awesome. Appreciate you stopping by and asking questions. Thank you so much. Good Thank to meet you. Guys. Here we go. Rolling through. Let's go. Rolling through all the questions and answers. Q&A session is done. That was fun. That was some good, that was some good answers. So kind of hearing all those things from, you know, all those creatives, what was a big piece of advice or thing that kind of unlocked your potential when you were going through Clemson and like, you know, did you, what was, what was like a big piece of advice that you gained when you were on the come up that helped you get to where you are now? For sure. Um, we kind of talked about it with Jordan's, but as far as with Jordan's question, but like storytelling wise, I think you can always make pieces shorter. You can at least make your V1 shorter. Um, so just like, especially today's, you know, social economy and posting videos on social, it's like, Hey, you've got five seconds, three seconds to hook someone and they're not going to stick around to watch a full, you know, feature long length video. So it's like, Hey, if you can make things shorter and tell your story faster, you're going to be in a better shape to put yourself in a better position. But trying to think of other advice that I've gotten over the years, I think it's in terms of uh, gear, you know, there's the whole conversation about gear and does gear matter. And um, I was kind of thinking about, you know, over the years when gear has mattered and when it hasn't mattered. And I think a lot of creatives, whether you're like, you know, at the peak of your career, you're just starting. The question is kind of always there, right? Like, does gear matter for what you're doing? And like, I think it's super, it's like liberating to know that like gear doesn't matter for the personal style projects and like the the real builders and just like the spec work projects so 
the advice that like I would give or that I've kind of just like acquired over the years is that like gear doesn't matter for those, right? So like for someone like Ryan, who's just starting out and he's trying to get his name out there and just starting to charge for work, like gear totally doesn't matter in his situations. Like you got to use what you can use. Like if you have a GoPro, use that. If you have a Nikon point and shoot that can shoot 60 frames, like use that and then get scrappy in the edit to kind of put together a piece that will sell and will help you afford the next level of gear. Because then like pretty soon gear will matter. I know that like it matters when you're getting paid and you have to get the shot, right? Like when you're shooting Patrick and the planes are flying through overhead, that's the most recent shot that I got of you. Like you can't afford to have a battery die in that moment, right? So it's like, you've got to get your gear dialed to where you have a V mount or some sort of battery situation charging your camera, right? Like when I have to shoot the final putt on 18, and that putt has to be captured dropping and the celebration on the 18th green has to capture be captured. Like I can't have a lens bugging out with the autofocus or like I have to have my battery situation set so I'm not dying on that situation. So all that to say is like gear doesn't matter until it does and you're being like paid a rate to get the shot. Um, so yeah, I hope that's helpful advice. I like, I like that. that. Gear, Gear doesn't, doesn't matter, matter until, until it does. does. Golf content's a little interesting because it's just a massive amount of space you got to cover. Kind of what's your strategy or what do you, how do you get from point, point A to point B or how do you even go about covering an entire tour just for those who might not have done golf before? For sure. Yeah, it's totally, I mean, it's very different from like any of the other sports that are played in one location, right? Like a basketball, football, hockey, lacrosse, baseball, soccer, anything is played on one field you basically have 18 fields and a game is being played on each one for like four hours from start to finish you know so um to a previous question that we got it's like you have to prioritize what you're getting after so a lot of the golf tournaments are the same as you go about you know you have guys showing up to the range two hours ahead of time to get dialed in and then they get after it. But there's storylines every single week where it's like, hey, I'm gonna go track with Justin Thomas for three holes because he's using a new putter, right? And I need to get that. But then it's a matter of who's leading and how do you have enough footage of the leader to put into the winner's melt after they end up winning on Sunday. So thankfully I've got a lot of people helping me out as the the position with the tour is called the QT. It's the quick turn position. So. A lot of my content that I'm shooting is getting sent back home to be flipped into edits and I'll flip around edits, you know, once a tournament ends. Um, like there's people saying, hey, this guy's making a move on Sunday and he hasn't been at the top of the leaderboard. So it's going to be beneficial to get to the 16th hole, you know, to go get 16 through 18 and is finished just in case he happens to win. So like, it's it's not all me out there saying like, oh, I'm gonna track with these big names because I know that they're gonna win. It's, you've got this app that tells you where people are and who's making moves and where people are on the leaderboard. Um, and you just have to prioritize who you're covering. So um, I'll follow the last two groups for the final, you know, Saturday and Sunday in hopes that someone in the final two groups wins because my main responsibility shooting a PGA Tour event is having enough footage of the winner the winning putt and like the winning celebration and the trophy race to send back to the broadcast partners. Nice. That's awesome. Um, are you usually just by yourself as a QT? The QT? Yeah. You're solo. Um, there's one QT on site. Well, there's an international QT and then there's a, a regular QT. So international focuses on the international guys. 
and then the normal QT just takes uh, the leader. So it's like early week before the tournament starts, you're helping out on a bunch of different social shoots and you're you're getting pulled to like branding content shoots and tournament marketing shoots and all these other things. But once the tournament starts, you are locked into the leaderboard. So we get a cart, thankfully, but like sometimes crowds, I, I you've shot some golf, right? Oh, With PJ crowd, and America. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> it's so tough, right? So like I try on the first day, right, to just take a couple laps around the course to learn the course. Thankfully, I've been working with um, the tour enough that some of the courses are going to start to become repeat courses. So I'll know, you know, what it's like to be there. But if you don't know the course, it's like sometimes you can take your cart out. Yeah, you can take your cart out and you can park it. And then you know that there are four holes kind of around this area. And then you can walk to all those. But like we're logging a bunch of miles on the course. But that's kind of why I like it. It's, It's active and it's challenging. Um, but yeah, dude, golf is, golf is 50% of the schedule and it's super fulfilling for me right now. That's awesome. Um, how, I think a lot of people ask me this, like, how do they get into a certain niche or sector? Like, let's say golf or lacrosse or whatever, like what advice would you have for someone who knows they want to be in this sport, but they don't have a direct route or plan? Like, what would your advice be for those creatives? I, it's. Well, for me, my entry to golf was kind of like a who you know situation. Um, shout out Allie Kearns. She graduated Clemson a year before me and went to go work full time with the tour. And she threw my name into the freelance hat for the Corn Ferry Tour, which is the lower level of golf that you graduate from to get your tour card to get to the PGA. So I think the answer is it's a matter of who you know, which is a matter of your connections and how you present yourself on social and how you like make friends with people in the industry. And then it's a matter of starting on the lower level events, whether that's shooting a high school game or shooting a local like pickup game. I'm not saying that the Corn Ferry Tour is like a local pickup game, but the Corn Ferry Tour definitely has less eyeballs on it than the PJ Tour or like a major or like a President's Cup or a Ryder Cup. So yeah, you start lower. And like I worked on the Corn Ferry Tour for a year and a half with um, this producer, Kevin Price, and he got me into the golf world. And we were basically making Clemson style hype videos for that tour. And then people kind of saw that work and they were like, oh, okay, cool. We want him to do other work, which led to me doing player content and player content with the tour is just, uh, Jake Ludwig does it now. He was a Clemson grad. It's like you go out on the practice rounds and you follow the guys for three holes and you make just like quick hitting IG, whatever, social style edits for the guys. It's super fun. So then like me doing some player content led to me meeting more people on the tour and then that got me to QT and now I'm like on the international QT gigs, which is so fun. Um, But yeah, dude, it's a matter of like excelling and doing really well at where you're at, no matter where it is. and then that's going to get noticed and that'll get, you know, your name put up in not, not larger circles, but just like in elevated rooms when they're speaking of events, like you want your name to be there when someone's like, Oh cool. Who are we going to get? It's like, this guy's dialed. Let's hopefully bring him on. Besides, you know, what you just said, putting in that elevated work consistently, do you, is there like a secret sauce or attribute or characteristic outside of just good creative talent that you think helps someone level up from like whether it's like being on time or leadership or like is there any can you think of a characteristic that would help a creative like a creative should focus on outside of 
being a creative. Totally. Like we'll get really specific. Like make sure your file names in your camera are renamed or make sure your time code is set to time of day or make sure your white balance isn't all over the place. Like it's like those little things that I think gave me the edge in the media center with the tour because like I'll hand my card off to DIT and my file names on my card say Turner FX6. Well, first it's the event name and then it's FX6 Turner uh, card one, card two, card three. Like that's kind of getting into card one, card two. That's that's a lot. But as long as like your card is just like a little bit different, you know, and, and you're locked in in that aspect, like that'll go a long way. And that note will be passed on to just like other hiring managers and things like that. And if your time code is set, the editor, you know, down the line is going to be like, oh my gosh, whose camera was this? That makes it so much easier that I don't have to go through and manually sync every single clip. Like those little things are huge. And it's like, it's like planning for the unknown when you're on site is kind of huge because a lot of the times like we're taking a shuttle to the whatever on site and it's like, hey, what if you miss the shuttle? What if it's late? What if it's this? It's like building the extra time. Like you said, that's like the most cliche answer. But I mean, that goes a long way. And like nobody really cares if you're on time, but they do care when you're not, when you're late. And it's like you're late one time and then it's like, oh shoot, I got to be on time five times now to get that out of these people's, that taste out of their yeah. mouth. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, for it's sure. that kind of stuff. And it's also like prepping your gear. I try to be so locked in when it comes to my kit that like the kit's not going to fail. In? Yeah, no, dialed in, locked in, everything. <laughs> I, I try to make sure that, you know, the kit's not going to fail because of me. That's like the Tom Saxism of like, if you think like, hey, the shoot or the gear or the edit won't fail because of me. If everybody adopts that same mindset, like you're good. The shoot's going to go smooth. Um, so that's a matter of, hey, my card's formatted before I get to site, file names locked in, time codes locked in, all that. That's lit. That's great advice. Uh, I love the, you know, the small details, you know, making it easier for the next person, I think is a huge piece of advice that I haven't really heard before, but I kind of do it too. Whenever I hand off a project for the next editor, I make sure the project's organized, sequence are named, um, footage is named or like whatever I got to do. Like I try to make it as easy as possible for them to not fail without having because not only do I want them to make it you know, easy for them, but I also don't want them to bother me and ask me questions like, where's this, where's that? Like, if I make 12 folders and each folder is labeled and everything has where it is, like, I'll go through the extra steps then in order to not be bothered afterwards or also making it easier for them. So I think that's a huge piece of advice of just kind of setting up, you know, the people who are getting your stuff next to make it as efficient and as easy as possible for them. Yeah, dude, you're looking out for yourself and for the next person, right? Nick Conklin calls it the bus theory that um, he was my boss at Clemson and it's kind of morbid, but it's like, if you were to get hit by a bus, can the next editor uh, yeah. work on your project? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so like everything should be bus theoried. And if you have 10 versions of a project that you've been working on, you should have 10 sequences in your premiere folder because somebody's going to be like, eh, I like version four a lot better. Can we just go back to that? And if you've been working off just one project file or one sequence, you're going to be like, what do we do in V4? And you're going to have to recreate that. But bus theory 
if you have, you know, V1 through 10 right there, you can just double click into V4 and you're right there and, you know, your life's that much easier. A lot, a lot of small, intricate things that you just learn over time. Yeah, dude, we can talk um, about those all day. You mentioned Clemson a lot. That's kind of like a powerhouse creative school. Like, what are we putting in the water in Clemson? <laughs> <laughs> dude, yeah, it's there's there's talk in the PJ Tour media centers. People are like, we're done hiring from Clemson. We've got too much, too many Clemson kids. But like, it's it's so funny. Like Jack Birchfield is there right now at the CJ Cup, and he's working a QT position. I, I think it's it's a testament to what um, the leadership there does and what they pour into their students and how they really take pride in setting up their student employees for success. And I know that's the case across tons of schools and like the work that those higher level managers and content creators are doing to get these students set up and pushed out into the world of sports is just so important. And I don't know if people in those positions even know like the impact that they can have on students. So it's, it's cool for me to kind of be in the position to kind of jump on this pod and hopefully be that for other kids, not kids, creators. Um, because like, I know how valuable that was for me, for like Nick and Jonathan, all those guys at Clemson um, to pour into me, to get me to where I am. Like I, I, I get on sets and I'm still thinking about lessons that I learned from Clemson. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's so cool to see people from Clemson jumping on sets and like, I'll be on site with Allie sometimes. And it's like, oh my gosh, all of this happened because you went to the tour threw my name on the hat. And we all have this like common, uh, thing from going to Clemson and getting started there and coming out of a great situation. I think last question from me before we wrap things up for those who, don't get the chance to go to somewhere like a Clemson or USC or, you know, the bigger schools with the set content system. Maybe it's a D2 school. Maybe it's just a D1 school that doesn't have the structure set up. What advice do you have for those who kind of have to figure it out on their own versus having that great structure to be a part of? It's tough to just say like, Hey, if the work is good enough, it'll get out there and it'll get pushed out because I, I did have the completely unfair advantage of a winning team and a large school, you know, but I think that you take someone like a Max Renfro at App State at like a lower level school um, with, with objectively less eyeballs on their content and you see what he was doing with like his uniform reveals and his game recaps and his behind the scenes and how he presented himself on social. It, I mean, I've, I've been watching from afar and I've been talking to him here and there and like, I only know what he's doing because his work was so good. And because of how he presented it on social, um, it was the matter of just like, it wasn't like a, Hey, look at me, look at what we did. It was a matter of like, Hey, this is a fun breakdown showing a piece of work that we're really, really proud of that kind of caught my eye. And I was like, Oh my gosh, it's cool to see this guy grinding. So it's like, I think if you're at a smaller school, you make work that you're proud of and then you show a little bit of the behind the scenes once that work is live of just like how it happened. I think that's the blueprint of kind of like blowing up and getting more eyes on your stuff, especially with TikTok these days. Like, dude, I wish TikTok was around when we were grinding at our, you know, respective college student or colleges. That would have been sweet. That would have been a totally different ball game. Uh, just yeah. yeah. I mean, even if TikTok was big when like we just got out of college, like, it's 
it's it's a game changer. It's so many views, so many eyeballs for like not a lot of effort. Totally, totally. And you can put as much effort or as little effort as you can. And I think it rewards consistency. So I think it's a matter of one, doing work that you're proud of and two, sharing it tastefully. And especially now, I don't know when this episode's going live, but today it's October 19th. And there's been so much talk in the industry about like, post your work, don't post your work. Here's how to do it. Here's not how to do it. Should you gas yourself up? Should you not? And like, when do you post it? And there's so many questions about like, am I an imposter? Am I doing good work? Am I not? I think the strategy, well, this is my strategy that kind of came from, it It, it kind of just like fell into my lap. And I, I don't know if it's the move or not, but like, dude, I'm posting to Instagram on a year delay. And let me tell you why. <laughs> A lot of the times the work that I'm doing is a sensitive it's not the word. The work that I'm doing is secretive. It's not secretive. You know what I'm trying to say? It's like you don't want to reveal like there's yeah. Let's there's, say um, let's say you're on a shoot, like a, a Nike shoot. Um, me and the student sports crew uh, that I work with for the Elite 11 were out at Nike HQ um, two months ago to shoot some content for Nike Training Club. And all that content can't be shared because we don't want to, you know, leak anything and say like, you know, say the set or the background or who it was or who he was with or all that kind of stuff. So all of that isn't shared. Like nobody knows that we were there. But behind the scenes was captured and they will know that we were there once it's live. And I think that's the best way to do it, right? Like once a phenomenal job is done and the work is live and the deliverable is live on the channel that paid you to be out there, then I think it's totally fair game for behind the scenes to be posted. So I, I forgot how we got on this rant. Oh, it's how to get your name out there and how to, how to make all that happen and how to post your work. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I think it's totally cool to gas yourself up here and there. But if you're gassing off like other people for the work that they're doing, you're going to get that energy right back. So it's like, how can you fire up other people? In turn, they fire you up. It's just like, what energy are you putting off into the social world? Is it a lot of me, me, me? Or is it like, oh, this is really good stuff. And that'll kind of come back. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. A thousand percent agree. And I I would uh, add on to that, that the right answer, which nobody really knows the right answer, but the right answer in my mind is to do both those things. Doing both of those things is better than not doing both of those things at all. Because if you don't post anything, if you don't, no networking, no comedy, no hitting up other people, no one's going to know you. No one's going to hire you. Um, like if I don't know somebody can do something, then how am I supposed to know I need to hire them? Um, so definitely a good strategy of waiting and being safe and being sure. But the, the key in my head is eventually you do it. Um, so whether that's a year or a month after, like you just got to post away and let it ride. And a year, a year is kind of extreme. I kind of just like did that as a joke, but I'm seeing yeah. these things, you know, how in uh, your iPhone photos, it'll be like, oh, a year ago. I'm like, oh my gosh, the Ryder Cup was a year ago. And then I'm just like, oh, wow, I should share some stuff from the Ryder Cup. But the thing was, was like the Ryder Cup gig out at Whistling Straits was so grindy and we were putting in just like 12, 13 hour days. There wasn't too, like, sure, there were a couple of IG stories here and there, but like no actual work. One, because like that footage is owned by PJ of America and NBC and all that. But like now it's fair game to share. 
Um, so it's like, Hey, cool. I'm going to put together a reel from that. I'm going to share some of the actual deliverables that went live on that channel. So yeah, I, I think a year delay is kind of extreme, but it's a case by case basis. Like next week, um, me and Jack have a shoot with this company called Allegiance Flag Supply down in Charleston. And it's a client that I've been working with for like four years that I can kind of take from start to finish. And I like, I know them and they're totally cool with behind the scenes being shared. It's, it's not like a high stakes, keep this thing secretive. Like it's an American flag and there's a farm out on Edisto that we're going to go shoot at. So that's, that's low key. It just, you got to be aware, like, oh, we're kind of going a little long, but oh, like horror story situation that hopefully people can learn from. I was shooting a wedding. Um, I think I was a junior in school when I was shooting a wedding. And I posted this boomerang of my second shooter just getting a shot of the dress. You know how like the dress is hanging up and you get that clip of it um, just like hanging nicely. It's backlit, whatever, whatever. One of the bridesmaids followed me on Instagram and she was like, she DM me frantically and she was like, oh my gosh, you have to take this down, blah, blah, blah. We don't know if the groom follows you, but the groom cannot see the dress. And I was like, holy shit, I'm so sorry. This is down right away. This is never happening again. And like, there was no harm done except for the fact that it like threw me off for the next two hours. Like I was shook up. So it's like, hopefully people can learn from that. Like it's, it's amazing to post your work. And like, if you're doing something cool, you want to share it. But there's times where it's like, Hey, this is paid work. And like, you're here for a reason and share it once you do a fantastic job at whatever it is that you're doing and, and don't give anything away, like what the dress looks like or who's on the Nike shoot. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I think everybody probably has their story of being shook. Um, I'm not going to say mine just cause I don't want, I, I don't want PTSD. Um, <laughs> Uh, basically I was on a shoot this is back when I was working with the chiefs. Uh, we went on our cheer trip shoot, uh, which is they bring all the cheerleaders to like a tropical Island and do their calendar shoot before the season starts. And our team photographer goes and does photos. Video team goes and just does like BTS video content. And we would do like daily vlogs and content and whatnot. And after the trip, I kind of threw together a daily vlog style edit of like me and the other creatives on site and posted that. And I was on vacation when I posted it too. I was like in LA just hanging out with my family. And a couple hours later, just got a DM from <laughs> uh, Evan who works with me at Let It Fly. He used to work with me at the Chiefs. He was like, bro, you got to take that down right now. Like, Stephanie Judah, the cheer director, like, is calling me, blah, blah, blah. Like, we're trying. And I was like, yes, sir. Deleted. God. And it was just like, it was just like showing, like, just BTS of us goofing around on the island. And they just didn't want, like, to show that that's what we do out there or some, something along those lines. Like, it was just, um, and I was like just so shook for the next like three days like oh my goodness I feel so bad and like I, I when I got back into town back in office sat down with Stephanie talked to her apologized like it was such a like super huge lesson learning moment um of just like 
yes, post your work and like be active on social, but you do have to be smart about what you post. And that is why now at Let It Fly, we always ask the clients, hey, like after a first project, we'll say, hey, what is your posting guidelines? Can we share your work? Can we quote tweet it? Can we post it natively? Is it all right if we long click and tweet video? Like you tell us what your rules are and we'll follow them to the, to the T. But we are going to ask just because we just do this with every client. So um, that's kind of my piece of advice is if you want to be sure, just ask you know the person that hired you or ask the client like, hey, am I good to post this? Or hey, I have this BTS shot. It kind of shows X, Y, Z. Like, am I good to post that? Um, it never hurts to ask. It could hurt to post without asking. Yeah, for sure. No, it's super smart. Like I'll look back at things like from four years ago and it'll pop up like a story memory and I'm like, oh my gosh, I posted all that. Like that was a lot to share. Like what was I thinking? But I think it comes in, well, one to your point, like that's huge to ask people what they're posting regulations are. And like best case is like, they're like, oh yeah, dude, go to town, post whatever. But that's a little dangerous. Like if you were a client, would you want to tell some, some shooter to just like post whatever? Cause then it's a matter of like, what if they miss a moment or what if they give off the wrong impression or this, this, and this. But I think like posting and sharing your stuff comes in waves. Like when I was in school and I was on shoots with Clemson, like every single day and we were doing things for every sport when I was working for like athletics, it's like, yeah, I'm going to share everything, you know, when there's the right time to do so. But now it's a little bit less like the question is like that I've been considering is like, would you take a gig if you knew ahead of time that you weren't going to be allowed to share anything from it? But you're getting a bag, like you're getting your full rate and then some. Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. 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 Absolutely. That, that was the, the tilt. <laughs> like, am I allowed to say, like, are you saying complete? Like, I can't even say I did this. Like, can I tweet, hey, did you see that video? I did that. <laughs> yeah, you. I, I think you could. I think you could do that. There's Okay, okay, so there's there's no behind the scenes that could be posted from site. And you can't post yeah, frames, yeah. you can't post clips, you can't post anything. Would you still take it? And, and you, you can't, can't quote, tweet, or share, or retweet. No, 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 a, a, quote tweet, a quote tweet is cool. You can quote tweet. Oh, yeah, if I can quote tweet that, to me, that counts as posting your work. I, I know I've got some questions before from creatives like, hey, my school's really like, um, they're really restrictive on what I can post or what I can do on social. Like they just don't want to deal with that. Or even at the Chiefs, when I was working at the Chiefs, I could not post any shots or any things natively to my accounts. I couldn't even post shots in my reel. Like they were really tight, locked down. Like you can't post any of our content. So I was like, all right, that's fine. I'll follow your rules but I'm going to quote tweet and share and put on my story the crap out of your content whenever you guys post it. And that to me counts as posting your work because you are like you're posting, you know, your work just with a retweet or whatever. Um, and that's how I got, you know, seen and hired by Andrew and Ben at Let It Fly is because I did so much of the, Hey, check out this video I made or Hey, really proud of this shot I got or I just did that for every single thing so that people kind of just figured out that hey if the Chiefs put out content it's probably Billy um, and that's 
kind of how that's how that led me to meeting Andrew and Ben because they were like, whoa, who's making all these cheese content? Oh, on social, it's dude, Billy probably. So they hit me up. Um, I guess so now yeah, they can see it on work. Gondola. What if what if now they're like, oh, who's yeah. making this? Type it in. Back to the Gondola plug. No, that's <laughs> gondola that's plug. super smart. It's like, I think what I try to do is I try to have clients who are like on both sides of the spectrum. Like I have probably like half of mine who are like, hey, this is a lockdown. Don't share anything about this for a year or like ever. And then I have some that are like, hey, share everything. So then on the share everything side, the the lockdown clients can still see what I'm doing, even though it's not like in their world. Like it could be a totally different, um, totally different. What is it? Like area of content creation, but then mm-hmm. everybody else over here can still kind of see it. So it's cool, and it's also like a paid rep. Like if you're if you're getting your rate to, you know, get on set, I think that's super valuable, even if you can't share it. So. For sure. All right. This next segment, we're going to flip the roles. I'm going to let you ask me a couple of questions. No prompts. Just, just no prompts. Fair game. Yeah. <laughs> What's the, the let it fly golf simulator like? Any hole-in-ones? Technically, yes. A couple of hole-in-ones, but asterisk, I don't think there's been a hole-in-one in an actual real course. The hole-in-ones usually happen in our kids versus parents course where like the pole is like in a bowl and like it's not an automatic hole-in-one. Like it's still impressive, but like it's definitely happened a couple of times where it's not as impossible as it seems. But the golf sim in the Let It Fly office is the greatest room slash office invention that anybody here has thought of because we spend so much time in there um, especially during the winter um, and it's gotten my swing so much better because I can just like hit daily basically you're so. dialed in the swings dialed no that uh, yeah, I'm, I'm dialing in that leads me to like my for sure my like for real question is like how how important is like your environment when you're creating whether that's on site or at your desk in the office because like i just got back from two weeks on the road in like two different countries and like this this frame right here looks pretty clean and everything but like around me is a mess and i'm like stressed because of it so like tomorrow we're locking this place in but like tell me about like what it's like on site for you and how you kind of keep your time on the road organized and locked in and then like what it's like at the let it fly office and how important that is. Yeah. So on the road, um, I mean, as long as you have a table for me on the road, that's kind of all I need, like a chair table, I got my laptop. Uh, I don't really care too much about environment when it's on the road, just cause I understand we're on the road. Like I'll edit in the car, I'll edit on the plane. Like you just kind of edit wherever you need to edit to, to crank out, um, content. Um, I remember we did a huge shoot in Florida for Dearness Johnson. We were driving from like Miami to Orlando to like, we did a whole Florida road trip basically. And in the middle of the trip, I'd like turn and just like opened up my laptop and cranked out an edit. So I'll edit, I'll edit anywhere if we're outside of the office. Um, in terms of in the office or at home, like home base editing, Definitely, uh, my desk areas can get very messy, I'm sure, like yours is now. Um, So I'm not too worried about that, but I just have to have my mouse and a monitor. That's kind of like the key 
things I need is like if I got my mouse, if I got my monitor, uh, it could be a mess. It could be clean. It's fine as long as there's space for my mouse. I'm rolling. Um, but I'm not too big on environment and like, you know, whether it's at home or at the office, as long as I'm plugged in, then I'm dialed in. Like if I got good ethernet, whether it's hard line or Wi-Fi, I'm dialed in. <laughs> love it. I love it. love it. I love that we're getting that. Or like good connection. Good. Like For sure. if I'm connected to the server, I'm connected to the SSD, whatever it is, like if I'm connected, we're rolling. <laughs> that's nice. I feel like that's an edge. Like if you can work anywhere, like yeah. that's huge. But the opposite is also true. It's super nice. I was spoiled at the President's Cup Media Center. Like, dude, every table had outlets. They all worked. Like I've been in media centers where the outlets didn't work. Like that's terrible. Um, there was a coffee bar in the food oh area, literally open like at all times. I wish I knew what the coffee bar was called, but it's like specialty coffees. You can go in there and rip like cold brews, lattes, cappuccinos, whatever. And I was just wired the entire trip. And it was so nice because you didn't have to worry about where you're getting your coffee in the morning. You don't have to stop at Starbucks. You're getting to the course and boom, you got your coffee. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I can see both sides of the coin, like work wherever, as long as you have a desk and a trackpad and a mouse yeah. or whatever, or like, it's nice when you get to those like cool oh, locked in. Sure. Like when, there's, when there's hardline ethernet, when there's power, when there's, you don't have to worry about like extension cords or anything. It's definitely, it's definitely a plus. Totally. And I mean, um, to the point of just br like bringing one and having an extension cord in your kit, like the power situation shouldn't fail because of you. It's like, dude, just put an extension cord in the bag. I've got this one, it's green. It's like 25 feet and the end splits off into three uh, AC, Ooh. just power strips. It's it's not really a power strip. It's more just like one long cord. And if I can afford to bring it, you know, in the bag, I, I do so. So it's like, that gets you locked in. All right, I got another one for you. How much yeah. time do you have? Uh, oh, all, all the time in the world. Oh, come on then. Okay. so. <laughs> What percentage of your work is like you doing everything start to finish from pre-production, shooting and editing? And I say pre-production, it doesn't really have to be like in-depth pre-production. Maybe it's just like, hey, I want to get this shot at the Chiefs game. I'm going to shoot. I'm going to edit it. What percentage of your work is that versus like working with a crew, whether that's call it like a crew is anything like three people or higher? I think it would be probably... 25% solo and 75% with the crew. Um, definitely all my LCC stuff, I'm working basically on my own. Like there's other LCCs, but we're not like working together as much as it seems versus a project. Like we're just showing up and shooting and there's just three of us. Um, so, <laughs> LCC wise, whenever I'm doing that, it feels more on your own versus I let it fly pretty much every project. There's multiple people touching it, whether it's producers putting the project together, um, our growth team getting the project, our uh, creatives going down and shooting it, other creatives uh, editing it. We've got our animation team making graphics for it. Um, so many different parts of the edit can be created by so many different people here. Um, even if it's, you know, one editor starting on a project, they're almost done, but 
now they have to go on a shoot. So then another editor hops on and finishes it out. Or we send a video to a client. They have reviews and revision. Another editor's doing nothing. They'll hop on and do the revision. So um, I would say 90 to 95% of the projects at Let It Fly have multiple people touching it versus one solo person. Totally. Yeah, I love that. I asked because like I love getting on a site and you're working on a project and there's, you know, the small crew of like three, four, five, right? Like if, if I can get on and there's two cam ops, a grip slash gaff, a producer and an audio op, like I'm chilling. If I just know that, hey, I'm, I'm going to be the Ronin op or the cam op or I'm going to grip gaff the thing, like that makes the final product objectively better. But dude, I've ran into just recently, just like someone, I pitched them a budget and it was that four person crew and they're like, what's a grip slash gaff? And that's maybe getting too far into the weeds of showing that to the client. Maybe I should have just given them a final number. But like, yeah. if, if someone says to you, like, why do we need a second camera on this, on this shoot? What's, what's your answer? What's your go-to? My answer? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I can tell you how I answered it and I, I feel like I choked. Yeah. Well, I, so thankfully, thankfully the client bit on, you know, bringing out a second camera, but I'm just like, hey, we're going to wear a lot of hats if this is a two person operation out on this set, you know? Yeah, and it's, just, it's more efficient, efficient like, like wide lens, tight lens, gimbal, that's handheld, like for sure. you can go so many ways. Um, but is that getting too far into the weeds of like, does the, I, dude, I want to get to the point where a client knows like, hey, this is the quality of work that uh, Andy does. And like, ideally they sign off and they take the budget. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. that's, that's hardly ever the case. There's going to be someone being like, what is this agency fee? Or what is, why do we need a, a production assistant? Can't you just do it? You know, it's like, yeah. how is that going to help? And where are these dollars going to go to make the final product better? So I'm trying to figure that out, but I'm wondering if, if you've had anybody, I don't know if you're on the like creating budgets and pitches and sending that off, but I mean, how would you justify it? I'm a little bit on that, not as much. So the cool thing is we have a growth team of three. Um, so they kind of take care of all of that. And pretty much, I don't think we've run into that as much in terms of people looking at our line item stuff and going, why do we have this? Why do we have that? Um, I think partly because we don't have a lot of shoots where we bring on grips or PAs or even audio ops, honestly. Like we're very, very much super run and gun to where I'm trying to get ourselves to hire more audio ops because that's the norm in the industry, but that's not our norm. Or like to hire grips, like we generally do do everything ourselves um, and send two creatives and a producer or it used to be one producer and one creative or three creatives, like that's kind of the makeup of our crew. So we don't get as many questions there. Um, and then I've heard from the growth team, nobody ever questions our equipment. Like they, we, we just send them a list, itemize it, numbers, and it's that are like, yep, cool. Not one person ever has questioned our equipment. So I think it's partly because of how we build our crews where we're not getting questions. Um, and then we're kind of, you know, our, the sacrifice is then we don't have a grip or we don't have an audio op on site and maybe audios is not as 
dialed in as it can be. <laughs> but um, I think that's that's my experience so far is people don't really question our crews or our equipment. Um, and maybe that's, I don't even know, maybe, maybe that it's because they're working with an agency versus a freelancer and maybe there's just a bunch of disrespect for freelancers from, you know, clients and stuff um, to where they have to nitpick, but that's uh, the answer there. Totally. Yeah. I'm trying to, I, I guess I was asking selfishly because like, that's what I'm kind of running into. Like yeah, it's, it's, your, a, it's a game changer, dude. It's a game changer to have an audio up when you're on, but then it's like, oh, oh, why sure. can't we just use a shotgun mic and you can lab them up? <laughs> Um, yeah. so we're, we're trying to get to that point. I think it's a matter of having Andy Turner LLC on the invoice versus a company like get the shot media. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, like I don't think a Nike is going to hire or send a 30, $40,000 budget to Andy Turner LLC. Like, I think they're going to mm -hmm. send that to a production agency or a production house or something like that. But that's just me talking out loud. Um, dude, <laughs> that's all, it. that's all I got for you. Question oh, all the questions. Got anything else for me? Can you list three creatives that people need to know about on Twitter or Instagram? Like what who are three if you're an aspiring creative listening to this podcast, who do you need to go follow right now? I can make that happen. Uh first up, I've really been enjoying his TikToks. Uh Jack Cook. He makes daily uh TikTok vlogs. Um and he's he's a creative out in LA does a lot of work with the like David Dobrik crew of that world. And then he has his own clients that he's crushing work with. So he runs a daily TikTok, which is so cool to see just like on the day to day what the guy's up to. Um, he went to Auburn. Dude, you should get him on the get the shot pod. Ooh, maybe I will. This is also where I get reference for future get the shot guests. So it's a two and one. It's a two and one question. Let me pull up Ashley's Twitter handle. So Ashley works with Fresh Tape. Um, her handle's Gutty, G-U-H-T-I-E-E. -E. They just, uh, I've, I've seen bits and pieces on social. They just launched a new like film lab out in Denver. It's like a, a branch of the Fresh Tape team. And I think she's taking the lead on it. So I would 100% follow her to see like the antics and the behind the scenes of what it's like to like open a film lab that helps develop your own photos. Um, so yeah, she's crushing it. Jack Cook, then you got Ashley. And let me think of the last recommendation. Um, well, we talked about him earlier, Max Renfro. I think everybody should be following that guy. The dude's dialed. Um, Max and freaking I, dialed in for sure. I respect his work a bunch. So uh, yeah, man, those are the three. That's lit. All right, final thing, opportunity for you to talk to the to the listeners of the podcast. What is your last piece of advice if there's only one thing someone should take away from this podcast, what would it be? The floor is yours. I think there's no better time to be a creative in this industry in sports or unscripted dot capture or whatever industry you wanna be in, call it holding a camera and shooting and telling a story and there's a lot of great people in the industry who are willing to help you out. And I think that that should be like very encouraging. Um, there's money in the industry, which is crazy. Like I thought I was gonna be an engineer when I first went to college and then I swapped that up and now we're, we're freelancing full time. So 
there's money and advice and creative stories that like need to be told. So I think that if you're either considering getting in or you're wanting to get in or you're already in and you don't know if it's feasible, like hit up me, hit up Billy, hit up anybody, make a connection and those connections will lead to more work that's happening. And like, there's a lot of cool stories to be told. So yeah, I think you get after it and you make it shorter and you get your gear dialed and you make the passion projects that you want to make until the gear actually matters and then it it matters. I'm trying to bounce all my advice into one. I'm a little jet lagged, but um, yeah, that's all I got. Then you post your work. Then you post your work, then you tag it on Gondola, not sponsored, but it should be. Yo, and that's straight facts for my man, Andy Turner. Shout out Andy for being on the podcast and thank you so much to everybody that called in. Appreciate all of the support from all you listeners and fans of the podcast. Please make sure you share this podcast with all your creative friends. Give it five stars. Put it on your story. TikTok about it. Do the dang thing. Let's get dialed in. And I'll see you guys on the next one. Deuces.